This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I want to read a quote to begin, um, and I talked about this uh, yesterday, and I talked about the whole GYC experience and the importance of that experience, and I want you to listen to this. This is uh, from the book, The Faith I Live By, uh, page 246. We should improve every opportunity of placing ourselves in the channel of blessing. The convocations of the church, as in camp meeting, and I was talking about GYC is kind of like a camp meeting for youth, so to speak. The, uh, so she says, the convocations of the church, as in camp meeting, the assemblies of the home church, and all occasions where there is personal labor for souls are God's appointed opportunities for giving the early and latter rain. And so when we assemble together in meetings like this, when we assemble together for GYC, we are actually placing ourselves in a position of receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in latter rain power. And so, uh, so you have made a wise choice in coming to GYC. And the choice in coming, and sometimes, and I talked about this le- yes, a little bit yesterday, sometimes we really are not believers or practicers in righteousness by faith. Sometimes we're practicers of righteousness by stubbornness, righteousness by decision-making. Just the decision to come to GYC is not where the outpouring will come. It is through the, and not just by the attendance of going through the motions and pulling out the schedule and being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, but it is actually through not just your attendance, but your willing, submitted attendance to hear what God is speaking through the different speakers. Uh, and too many times, and I say this, uh, I am a little biased, I'm a pastor, too many times people will look at the church bulletin and they'll say, oh, this guy's speaking this week, this guy's speaking this week, and I'm going to go him here, but I'm not going here. And like in Hagerstown, Maryland, although a small place, we have six churches within about 15 minutes. And so we have what I call church tourists who go from place to place, and it is a misunderstood concept that I'm going to church to be blessed. And while that is certainly true, I'm also going to church and being a part of the assembly to be a blessing. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out in convocations like this, not by mere our mere attendance, but because we've committed and submitted ourselves to the Lord and in preparation for receiving the message He has for us. So let's go ahead and get started with... Uh, prayer, and we'll have a brief review of yesterday. So if you weren't here yesterday, you'll get a very, very brief review. And for those of you who were here yesterday, my review is actually the part of the notes that I didn't get to. So you'll get to hear something new as well. So, uh, And then we're going to go into this hour, we're going to talk about how do I receive the Holy Spirit? And then the second hour that we'll be together, we will talk about what the results are and the the, the answer may surprise you, and so and uh, we'll get to that. So let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be here. We are grateful to have the opportunity to learn. And now, Lord, as we sit for a moment and study your scriptures, it is our prayer that you would work in our hearts, work in our minds, 
Help us, Lord, to understand you. But more than just an intellectual understanding, Lord, we want to be cut to the heart. We want to be transformed. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday we started with the Holy Spirit promise as found in Acts chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, we find that promise as Jesus is leaving the earth and having his last words with his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, and for those of you who were not here yesterday, you can listen to this on Audioverse, on GYC Web, and, uh, and get more of the details. But in Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we have three key words that give us the very foundation of the Holy Spirit promise. And by the way, I'm leading to how do I receive the Holy Spirit. So, But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, Jesus makes it very clear to the disciples who remember at this time are still struggling with the idea that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come as a political leader to wrangle from the Romans authority and now Jesus is going to rule the earth. And when they ask him, they, the disciples ask Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus answers, it says, it's not for you to know times and seasons. And then he says, but it's been given by God's authority. And authority is the Greek word exousia. God's authority. God reigns over the earth. And it is by his authority that he reigns. And so it is by God's authority, the timing of the second coming, when he will restore the earth, when he'll bring spiritual Israel together. That is within the realm of God's power. And so, as a bit of a side note, if sometimes, because we're people who love to study, we can get ourselves caught up into all kinds of timelines and and we've got it all down, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen, and then the second coming will happen. We must be very careful because it is within God's authority as to when the second coming will happen. And remember what Ellen White herself said. When would Jesus have come? Jesus would have come at the turn of the 20th century in the 1900s had the church done her appointed work in its appointed time. That is God's prerogative as to when the second coming will happen, when the kingdom will be restored. And I know some of you are saying, but wait a second, can't we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord? Yes, and that's actually something we're going to talk about, uh, and that's found in 2 Peter 3. But then, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says that we will receive power. And the word for power is the word in Greek, dunamis. It is from the it is from that word that we get our word dynamite, and it means to be able. So the Holy Spirit, is, so he's going to give us power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And it's very critical here that we now understand why the Holy Spirit is given. Unfortunately in the church, and hopefully some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I did not grow up in the church Some of us talk about the Holy Spirit like we're in Star Wars and the Holy Spirit is the force. Okay? And I, and now, like I said, hopefully you, some of you are like, what are you talking about? And that's great. I'm glad you don't. But that whole concept, by the way, from that trilogy 
is a concept steeped in Near Eastern mysticism. See, the Holy Spirit is not a force which we wield at our command. But the Holy Spirit is power to make us able to be what? Witnesses, which is the word martus, from which we get the word martyr. The power of the Holy Spirit, the fundamental, the fundamental promise of the Holy Spirit is the ability for us to be witnesses. That word martus, which is translated witness in Acts 1.8, is also translated testimony. By the way, if you have the King James, these two words are translated power. In Acts 1.7, it's in God's power, and then he will give us power. But notice in the Greek, it's two different words. God has authority to give us power, but it's not just any power. It's power to be witnesses. And being a witness and witnessing are what we talked about yesterday, while related to very distinct things. Sometimes we say, oh, the latter rain will come so we can finish the work. That's very true. But the Bible is quite clear. Where is one primary place that the work needs to be finished? The work needs to be finished in me. For me to be a testimony or a witness is when God changes me that not only can I proclaim, but my proclamation matches the transformation that is within me. And let's just take... Now, by the way, it's very interesting. God has exousia, the authority. Who does God grant the authority to before it arrives to us? Matthew 28, 18. All authority, exousia, has been granted to me. And then Jesus, through the promise of the Holy Spirit, gives us the power by His authority granted to Him by the Father. So, what we have here? We have all three figures of the Godhead working with one goal in mind. That is our salvation. And for us to be witnessing, excuse me, witnesses. And I want you to think about this now. Someone who is seeing, someone who is hearing, someone who is handling has something to witness too. God is not looking for second-hand witnesses. You, you all are familiar with the legal system. You know, and, 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 and you watch these courtroom proceedings and someone will say, well, and this is what I heard that, that, this is what I heard from someone that they said. What do they call that in the courtroom? Hearsay. God is not looking for witnesses of hearsay. God is looking for someone who has personally experienced him. Our eyes, our ears have to be open. It is only when we experience Jesus, when we see Jesus, when we hear Jesus, when we handle Jesus. And by the way, just so we're very clear, how do we see, how do we hear, how do we handle Jesus? In His Word. We spend time in His Word, and we'll be talking about that in the last session on how can we be protected from false manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We talked about these verses yesterday, 2 Peter 1, 16-18. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. But what did they bring? They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, the disciples 
the whole idea of power and witness come together. They, it is a package. God doesn't grant us the power of the Holy Spirit so we can say we're powerful. He grants us the power of Holy Spirit first and primarily to change us. To change us into His character. Then secondly, because we've been changed, now we can share. Now we can share. See, the Bible then says, and remember, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We've been given such a great cloud of witnesses. And it recounts Hebrews chapter 11 and the witness of all the early patriarchs. So we're able to see their witness, and that witness makes an impact on us. And then what's the result of it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. See, Jesus is doing all he can to change us. See, in looking to Jesus, we're able to talk to him. And in talking with him, we are changed by him, and then we can talk about him. Does that make sense to everyone? It's like finding, see, I'm talking to a group of young people here, okay? And I'm not old, I'm, I'm only 38 years old, and I know for some of you, I'm twice your age and you think I'm ancient, but... Trust me, when you get 38, you're not that old. And so, but some of you are seeking in your life for that significant other. You know, you're, you're seeking for that someone that I'm going to marry. When you find that person, you're able to talk about them. Or maybe you have a hobby or something. See, when you spend time with something, you're able to talk about it. If somebody came to me and said, hey, listen, I want to have lunch and have a conversation over thermonuclear dynamics. That's not going to be a fruitful conversation for me because I don't know anything about thermonuclear dynamics. You understand? And so a witness is someone who has something to share because they have seen or they have heard or they have experienced. See, our witness and our testimony is first found in a life empowered by Jesus through the Holy Spirit to live a character for him and live a character like him. He is changing us to be a powerful testimony to this earth. The Holy Spirit is about finishing the work, but beginning with me. Finishing the work in me that we then might finish the work in the world. And I clarified yesterday, that doesn't mean that we need to wait until we're perfect to go and share It simply means God has an ongoing work with me, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. I wanted to read one quote to you here that that I'm not finding in my notes, but there is a a quote, and and I'll find and I'll tell you the next hour who it's from. It says, the greatest argument against Christianity is Christians. See, that is often quoted. That part of the quote is often quoted. What we don't often quote is what he says before that. He says, the greatest argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their expression, their life. What's the point? See, the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to change us that we are truly a witness for Him. So that way, as we interact with people, as we talk with people, as we just do things in everyday life, they simply say, there's something different 
about you. There's something different about who you are. And that is why the Holy Spirit promise is given. So, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? And is receiving the Holy Spirit even important? John chapter 3 and verse 5. This is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. So let's first establish, is receiving the Holy Spirit important? We often will just say yes, but we don't go to the Bible. Is receiving the Holy Spirit important? It certainly is. Notice what it says in John 3 verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he might be able to enter the kingdom of God. He cannot. So is the baptism of the Holy Spirit important in the Christian's life? It is absolutely important. And so, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? I'm going to talk about two things during this hour. I'm going to try to get as much in as I can. There is the idea of receiving the Holy Spirit personally. How do I receive the Holy Spirit in my life? And then there is the church receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And they are related to one another, but let's first talk about how do I receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Oh, here's my quote. See, I knew I'd find my quote. I just got ahead of myself. So here's, it is by Sheldon Von Aachen, and this is what he says. The strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. But though it is just to but though it is just to condemn some Christians for these things, perhaps, after all, it is not just, though very easy, to condemn Christianity itself for them. Indeed, there are impressive indications that the positive quality of joy is in Christianity and possibly nowhere else. If that were certain, it should prove of a very high order. But he begins the quote by this. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. And so this is the working of the Holy Spirit. To have... To, to make us complete Christians in Jesus, that we would have a joy, that we would have a certainty. And that is what Jesus is trying to do to us and in us, that we would be his witnesses. So how do we then receive the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, what happens in Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, when they, excuse me, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each excuse me, each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So the Holy Spirit falls, and I'm getting to the point where we're going to talk about how we receive the Holy Spirit. But then what happens in the ensuing verses of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
on the early church. Peter stands up, and what does Peter do? Peter gives a witness, and he preaches. He preaches to the congregation, and what does he preach? Does he just get up and speak to them about whatever's on his mind, or what does he speak about? He speaks about Jesus. He speaks most specifically about the risen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And I want you to remember, what does Romans 10, 17 say? So then faith comes by hearing, and by hearing what? Hearing the word of God. Peter doesn't give up and give a sermon about just anything. He doesn't give a, get up and give a lecture. He speaks about Jesus Christ specifically. Jesus from the word, and he tells about what Jesus did through his ministry on the earth and why the disciples themselves have become witnesses. Notice what I want you to notice in this, in, in this gospel message, the Holy Spirit has come upon the disciples that they would be a witness. Remember, and we're going to get into this in the next hour, But just 40 days previous to this, the group of disciples that is described in Acts chapter 2 as being of one accord, what was happening in their lives just 40 days previous to this? They were arguing. They were disagreeing with one another over who was the greatest. The evidence of the witness changing them first is in the reality that they went from a disjointed group arguing over who would sit at the right, who would sit at the left, to now the Bible says they are of one accord. And that, that word, by the way, of one accord is literally in the Greek of one mind, unanimity. Okay? There was no early church will have to agree to disagree. No, they had come together as a united force, changed from just 40 days previous. What does this tell us? Number one, it tells us that the Holy Spirit can change us rapidly. It has changed the disciples completely in just 40 days. Folks, that is an amazing thing. That is am- Because remember, how many of the disciples stood with Jesus when they came to arrest Him? None. Okay? And the by the way, and now the one who is preaching the message. What did he do just forty days previous? Denied him not once, not twice, but three times. And folks, when you read the denials of Peter, the denial of Peter was, "I don't even know the man." And now Peter is preaching a message. The Holy Spirit power it changes us. First, that we then, in receiving the Holy Spirit, can go and share a message that the Holy Spirit has transformed me, and in transforming me, I know that the Spirit can transform you. See, we have something to talk about. See, remember the the old hymn, Amazing Grace, what does it say? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a what? Wretch. See, we don't like that very much. That saved a wretch. Now listen, I, you know, 
I did not grow up Seventh-day Adventist. And I spent some significant time on the, other t- you know, on the other side of the cross. And I think one of the unfortunate things that we do is in sharing our personal testimony, we make it very dramatic, and we all actually almost glorify sin in our testimony. For those of you who have grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist church and have never, for lack of a better word, run wild, number one, let me tell you, praise the Lord for this. I will tell you as someone who spent a significant time on the other side of the cross, there are things I have seen, things, things I have heard, that I wish that I had never had, because the mind is a thing that doesn't forget. And even as the Lord is cleansing us, that stain is, and that scar is there. So number one. Number two, whether or not you've run wild, if you've grown up in the church, You've gone faithfully to academy, faithfully to Sabbath school. You made a genuine decision to follow Jesus when you were 10, 11, 12 years old. You were baptized and you remember without Jesus, the hymn is clear. Without Jesus, you were still a wretch. Okay? No matter how good your life was before, how nice your upbringing is, without the righteousness of Christ, we're a wretch. And so God has done something amazing in you, whether you've had a wild side or not. So please don't fall into the trap of the idea that, oh, I'll go wild, and then I'll come back, and then I'll have a story. Folks, number one, we don't know what our days are. We don't know, and this relates back to the, 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 the devotional last night, we don't know how long our days are. See, it saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, as we share, we all have a story. And the story is, the story is the same for all of us. Jesus was not in my life, and I was on track not to be in heaven. But one day Jesus got a hold of me, transformed me, and in transforming me, he has made me a witness. To be a witness is to be someone who is seen. Someone who has heard. Someone who has been with Jesus. And he has changed them. I want you to remember, John chapter 13, verse 35. The most definitive statement on knowing who is and who is not a Christian. What does Jesus say? John 13, 35. By this, you will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. See, remember what Matthew said, excuse me, what Jesus said in Matthew 22. What did he say in Matthew 22? Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Let's just go there and read it. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. See, the work of the Holy Spirit is to transform us. Mark 22, 37 to 40. What does Jesus say? Mark 22, 37 to 40. Jesus, sorry, sorry, Matthew, Matthew, there is no Mark 22. You, you'd be looking for a long time. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Notice what it says. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How are we a witness our love for God, our love for our neighbor. 
And people say, well, wait, 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 wait. Revelation 12, 17. What does Revelation 12, 17 says? What does it say? And these are they that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Commandments of God. Love for man, the first, excuse me, the love for God, the first three. Love for man, the second six. By the way, by the way, the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 says the spirit of prophecy. Now, who is the spirit of prophecy? Be very careful before you answer. Who is the spirit of prophecy? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gave the gift of prophecy to Ellen White. And what was the purpose of receiving the Holy Spirit? To be a witness. So when Ellen White was given the gift of prophecy by the spirit of prophecy, the Holy Spirit, it was for the church to become a faithful witness. And a faithful witness is a testimony to those around us that we love God and we love our fellow man. So, how, and by the way, that is the main, that is the main, what is the will of God? 2 Thessalonians 4.3, what is the will of God? Our sanctification which is the salvation of mankind. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish. God wants to save all men. We know not all men and all women will be saved, but we know that the will of God is that everyone should be saved. Friends, God loves people. And His witnesses are called to love people. Okay? God loves people. We are called to love people. And just so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying, God hates sin, but loves the sinner. We too are called to hate sin, but to love the sinner. See, Peter here is witnessing. He's witnessing, number one, through his witness. Because there are certainly people who were in the crowd that day who knew of Peter's denial of Jesus. There were certainly people that knew of all the disciples. What were the disciples doing immediately after the crucifixion of Jesus? They were hiding. But now they're not hiding. They're preaching with boldness. See, the Holy Spirit is transformational. And the gospel message, as Peter preaches, and we won't read through the whole gospel message that Peter goes through, but what is the main point? Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again, and He ascended to heaven. And folks, this is, and by the way, that is the uniqueness of the Seventh-day Adventist message. The sanctuary message, the full message. Most Christians are stuck at the altar of burnt offering because we talk much of his death. And I, and I jokingly say this. You know, there are a lot of churches that they put crosses. And the cross is important. God, Jesus paid the price in the cross. But the hope we have as Christians is not in the cross. The hope we have in Christians is the empty grave. That just doesn't make such a dramatic thing to put up in front of the church, I guess, an empty, an empty tomb. But Jesus' resurrection is the hope we have. Because if Jesus would have simply died and been found in his tomb, it would have made him no different 
than any other claims to being a prophet. Many have claimed to be the Messiah, and they're dead, and they're in their graves. Jesus' tomb is empty. His empty tomb is our hope. So how do we receive this Holy Spirit promise? Peter preaches this amazing message, and then he gets down to verse 37. The people have heard this message, and it says this. Now, when they heard this, what was the result of the message? They were, in the King James, they were pricked in their heart. In, in the New King James, it says, they were cut. They were cut to the heart. And they said, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And here now Peter gives us the key. It's actually rather simple. And I, if you came today hoping for some profound message and some, some, some step-by-step of how to receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible is actually very simple in how we receive the Holy Spirit. And actually, when I talk about the dangers of the false manifestations of the Holy Spirit, unfortunately, even in the Adventist church, we have come up with these formulas of receiving the Holy Spirit that are absolutely, unquestionably, unbiblical in how they're laid forth. What is Peter's simple message? Repent, let every one of you be baptized, and then what does it say? Baptize in the name of Christ for the remissions of sin, for the remission of sin, and you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter makes a very clear. So is there a formula? I suppose there's a formula, but what is Peter's very simple message on receiving the Holy Spirit? We repent. What does repentance mean? Literally, repentance means to turn around and go the other direction. Some people say, do a 360. You need to go back and do math. Because if you do a 360, you're going the same direction. It's a 180. You need to turn from going this way. You're going east, and now I need to go west. I'm going north. I now need to go south. We need to repent. Repentance includes Sorrow for sin. I want you to listen to this quotation from Steps to Christ. And there's a whole chapter, by the way, in Steps to Christ on repentance. If you haven't read the book Steps to Christ in a while, by the way, it would be well worth your while to take those hundred pages and digest them because Steps to Christ is an amazing book. But listen to these words. This is from page 23 of Steps to Christ. Repentance includes sorrow for sin, and a turning away from it. We shall not renounce sin unless we see its sinfulness. Until we turn away from it in the heart, there will be no real change in the life. There are many who fail to understand the true nature of repentance. Multitudes sorrow that they have sinned and even make an outward reformation because they fear that their wrongdoing will bring suffering upon them. But this is not repentance in the Bible sense. They lament the suffering rather than the sin. Such was the grief of Esau when he saw that the birthright was lost to him forever. Balaam, terrified by the angel standing in his pathway with drawn sword, acknowledged his guilt lest he should, be, lest he should lose his life. 
But there was no genuine repentance for sin, no conversion of purpose, no abhorrence of evil. Judas Iscariot, after betraying his Lord, exclaimed, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Goes on in page 26. The Bible does not teach that the sinner must repent before he can heed the invitation of Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is the virtue that goes forth from Christ that leads to genuine repentance. Peter made the matter clear in his statement to the Israelites when he said, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We can no more repent without the Spirit of Christ to awaken the conscience than we can be pardoned without Christ. And so we're going to study this in the next hour on the results of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works on us so that we are led to repentance. And in being led to repentance, we have a sorrow for sin. What is genuine repentance? To be genuinely sorry for what we've done and to see the sinfulness of sin. And I love that phrase. Too often in the church, I believe that one of the greatest challenges we have is that we don't really understand the sinfulness of sin. Many times, we simply think sin is, oops, I made a mistake. Sin is what caused Jesus to die. Sin is what caused Jesus to die. Jesus invites us in re- to receive the Holy Spirit to, number one, repent. We repent and we are converted. Notice what John 7.39 says when Jesus, talking of the Holy Spirit, describes how those who receive the Holy Spirit will be. John 7 and verse 39. Notice the words of Jesus. John 7, 39. In verse 38, he says, He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit. Whom, who's going to receive the Spirit? Whom those believing in him would receive For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes on those who have repented, have been converted, and believe on Him. And I know it sounds too simple. It sounds too simple, but that's the promise of the Scripture. Repent. Be converted, be baptized, and believe on Him. That word believe, by the way, is the same Greek word for faith. It's the Greek word pistuo. Have faith in Jesus. Very interesting, by the way, and we'll get into this the next hour. Revelation 14, 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Faith. They believe in Jesus. And by believing in Jesus, they are endowed with the Holy Spirit, which makes them a witness. And we're going to see the results of becoming a witness transform us and keep us close to Him. 
But let me, let me read to you another quotation from the book Acts of the Apostles on how simple the reception, how simple it is to receive the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not limited to any age or to any race. Christ declared that the divine influence of His Spirit was to be with His followers until the end. From the day of Pentecost to the present time, the Comforter has been sent to all who have yielded themselves fully to the Lord and to His service. To all. How many? To all who have accepted Christ as a personal Savior, the Holy Spirit has come as counselor, sanctifier, guide, and witness. See, unfortunately, and this has happened in churches outside, and through that outside influence of churches, it's come now into the Adventist church. We somehow believe there's this kind of almost magical incantation, and then I'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is clear. Repent, be baptized, be converted, be a believer, and the Holy Spirit has fallen on you. This quotation now goes on. I want you to notice now. That is page 47 of Acts of the Apostles. The more closely believers have walked with God, the more clearly and powerfully have they testified of their Redeemer's love and of His saving grace. The men and women who through long centuries of persecution and trial enjoyed a large measure of the presence of the Spirit in their lives have stood as signs and wonders in the world. Before angels and men, they have revealed the transforming power of redeeming love. Now, some are going to say, but wait, 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 wait. Wait a second. Okay, that's fine, Pastor Holland. You, you receive the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. That's great. But the Bible talks about the indwelling Spirit or being filled with the Spirit or being baptized by the Holy Spirit or receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit or being anointed by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament uses all these words. And as you study them, friends, I believe what you will find, and I'm not alone in this, The Bible uses all of these words interchangeably to describe the exact same experience. The baptism or the falling upon us of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice. Notice this quote from Ellen White and how she uses uses words interchangeably. Notice now. This is from Evangelism, page 701. Today you are to have your vessel purified, that it may be ready for the heavenly dew ready for the showers of the latter rain, for the latter rain will come, and the blessing of God. So now she's talking about the Holy Spirit, the the heavenly dew. She first refers to it as the showers of the latter rain. Then she refers to it as the blessing of God that will fill every soul that is purified from defilement. It is our work today to yield our souls to Christ that we may be fitted for the time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, fitted for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Notice, she says, baptism, refreshing, showers, and blessings. That almost sounds like a, that sounds like a little cradle roll song or something. But uh, the point is, Ellen White, well, first and foremost, the Bible 
and then Ellen White used this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit as interchangeable ideas that are brought about by the same, the same issue. Repentance, conversion, and belief. So we receive the Holy Spirit at our time of repentance, conversion, and belief. But do we need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? I want to read to you from a book. This is from Ron Cluzet's book, Adventism's Greatest Need. If you haven't read this book, you need to get it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is given to us upon our surrender of our lives to Christ. This is our surrender, right? We're surrendering to God. We understand the sinfulness of sin. We turn away from it. And now we have a new belief system. Does that make sense? Okay, so, continuing the the quote. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is given to us upon surrender of our lives to Christ. And He comes into our lives every time we surrender. Not just once. But as many times as we yield to the love of Christ, so subtle in your mind that this is the work of faith. You receive Him by faith, and every time you trust your Savior, He abides with you yet again. So how often does the Bible say we need to surrender to Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31. Just as a reminder of who's writing 1 Corinthians, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is responsible for a majority of the 27 books of the New Testament. And he says in 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 31 of himself. I affirm, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die, how often? Daily. Daily. Now, only God is to be gloried. But you need to just keep in mind that some of the miracles of the early church, I mean, Peter used to walk and people would drag them to just have his shadow fall on them and they would be healed. Now that wasn't about his power. That was about the power of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, I have to die how often? Daily. If Paul needs to die daily, we need to die daily. And this is, and I, and, and as pastors, we have jokes sometimes that other people don't find as funny as we do, but See, when we, the, the whole concept of baptism, the baptism is the idea, baptism which comes as is a public expression of your conversion. In Romans 6, what does it say that baptism is? It is the true celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ. Because we go into the water and we, we die his death and we come out resurrected to a new life, which means Symbolic, we, symbolically, we left the old man in the water. But here's what happens with the old man. The old man wants to be resurrected. And so if we don't die daily, he is resurrected in us. And this is why we pray and we ask daily for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are to deny ourselves daily. Romans chapter 8. Notice what Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. 
say? Romans 8, verses 6 to 8, and then we'll drop down to verse 13. Again, this is Paul speaking. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the whole issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit promise is given to us that we no longer are carnally minded. Because inherently, each of us are carnally minded. And it doesn't matter if we've been brought up in an Adventist home, in a Christian home, all of our lives, we are, we are inherently carnally minded. Even the cute little baby, the little two-year-old, what happens? Don't touch the oven, it's hot. And they touch the oven because they're carnally minded. We need Jesus to change us. And then down in verse 13, what does Paul say? For, it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The whole issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see this even more pronounced the next hour we're together, is God preparing us to be fitted to meet Him when He comes again. This is the real issue. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 4, this whole idea of dying daily, of dying and then receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit every day, praying for the Spirit daily. Ephesians 4, 4 beginning in verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Every day, every day, Paul says, I die daily. The, the clear instruction of Scripture is that we die daily. We, we have this, we, we say, Lord, I submit myself to you. May the old man die and baptize me anew with the regenerating, refreshing effects of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to everybody? We receive the Holy Spirit. And again, for those who are coming for some great and profound it is profound because it is profoundly simple. And I told those of you who came yesterday, this, this whole exercise, this has been, I don't know why GYC asked me to come and speak, but I do now. They asked me to come and speak so I could learn. Because it's that simple. Repent, be converted, believe. And not that you might receive the Holy Spirit. You will. And you have received the Holy Spirit. Now, is there the special latter rain? Yeah, we're going to talk about all of that. Okay, but this and the power of the Holy Spirit is given in each of our lives to change us to be witnesses for him. And the major challenge that most of us face in our lives is we say, here, Lord. And then we play tug of war with him. 
we have what I would call half submission. We yield it, but we don't give it. Here, Lord, and then we fight him for it. And God is calling upon each of us to daily be transformed and changed by him. Notice these words from early writings, page 67. Heaven will be cheap enough if we obtain it through suffering. We must deny self all along the way. Die to self daily. Let Jesus alone appear and keep his glory continually in view. I saw that those who of late have embraced the truth would have to know what it is to suffer for Christ's sake. That they would go through trials to pass through that would be keen and cutting in order that they may be purified and fitted through suffering to receive the seal of the living God. Pass through the time of trouble, see the king in his beauty, and dwell in the presence of God and of pure holy angels. Heaven will be cheap enough. And by the way, and we'll get into this in our last three sessions together, but just as a little preview, those who receive the seal of the living God, who is the sealer? Ephesians makes it clear, the Holy Spirit is the one that seals us. So in our asking for the Holy Spirit to be in our life, in the Holy Spirit coming upon us, baptizing, indwelling in us, whatever words you want to use, in order to fit us, to make us a faithful witness, sometimes we will go through trial. Sometimes we will go through difficulty and tribulation. And Ellen White says in early writings that heaven will be cheap enough. None of us, None of us will complain about the fact that we've made it to the sea of glass. I don't think anybody in heaven is going to be like, but Lord, you didn't let me watch that movie. I don't think anybody's going to feel that way. But, But Lord, I couldn't eat ham sandwiches. Why? No, we're going to be in heaven. And we're going to glory in the fact the Holy Spirit works on us to change us to transform us. So how do we, in summary, we've got one minute together and left and then we'll take a five minute break. Our next session, by the way, I will cover how the Holy Spirit is received corporately because the Holy Spirit then falls, the church receives the Holy Spirit. I'll talk about that and then get right into the results of the Holy Spirit. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? The Bible is clear. We repent. By the way, that repentance is fostered out of the Holy Spirit working on us initially. We repent. We are converted and baptized. We believe on Him. And not we might receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we will receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Prophecy says those who have believed have already received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. In fact, I would contend the reason you're at GYC is the Holy Spirit has brought you here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are grateful, Lord, that you don't ask us to jump through a bunch of hoops, to have some magic formula, to go through some special incantation. But, Lord, you've made it very simple and plain. We repent and turn away from our evil deeds. We see the sinfulness of sin in our life. We turn from it. We are converted and submit ourselves fully to you. And then, Lord, we have the faith in you trusting in you for all things. 
Oh Lord, today we do submit ourselves and ask that you would baptize us anew with the Holy Spirit. Make us your witnesses that you would finish the work in us that we then might finish the work in the world. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.